all the adventures of a librarian turned sniper, Liberty Schoenhauer, who finds that aliens started the zombie apocalypse. These things happen. She is aided by the great Uncle Danny Toughest Nails, and together they try and save as many people in the book Liberty's Run. Book one is out now at Amazon and Mythmart, and book two is coming soon in August. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Mythbits. I am your host, Jenna Sparks, and this is episode 177. Alright guys, we have a gigantic episode lined up today, Uh, so let's jump straight into housekeeping because there is so much to cover. So, first and foremost, as 2022 is the 30th year anniversary of the company, Dark Myth Publications will be releasing a special hardback uh, copy of The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of Dark Myth. We are asking for anyone who has worked with the Jzomon Dark Myth Company to send in a small write-up about your time in the company. Send uh, any any blips, blurbs, information to Dave at David K Montoya at JZomonDarkMyth.com. And over at Dark Myth Comics, after the release of the Inker of American Smash, Dave has announced that he will ink issue number one of the series while looking for a replacement, uh, which is kind of interesting news, considering what we are going to talk about in this episode. Uh, Next up, New Wave Comics is already expanding as uh, the production uh, of a comedy parody magazine called Durr Uh, (laughs) in the vein of Mad Magazine and Cracked. So send questions and submissions to john at jk.art75 at gmail.com. Sorry, I got very distracted there. It was funny. Uh, (laughs) The Open Contract Challenge has 11 contestants who are moving on to the quarterfinals, which means each contestant will submit one chapter of their manuscripts. Only five will go on. Best of luck. And Mythmart West is taking shape as the executive manager has been approved to run the West Coast store, which is expected to begin later this year. Also, we have some PCE 2022 news. A possible new venue has been located and negotiations have begun, and I have a lot of good positive thoughts on that. Uh, outside Outsider Distribution's director, Christopher Harris, has started his very daunting task of contacting over 600 bookstores worldwide to begin building our distribution network. And speaking of networks, the JZO Modcast Networks, the world of Mythbits will begin its month 
long interview series with founder and owner of the Jaysomon Dark Myth Company, David K. Montoya, as a part of its celebration for our 30-year anniversary, as well as Dave's birthday. Uh, the board of directors met yesterday for the first time since February, where they laid out a plan for the rest of 2022. So keep your eyes out for the newsletter, newsletter and for more details. And finally, speaking of newsletters, there has been a little talky-talky of uh, starting back up the 2M Newsine. The Newsine would be a monthly publication uh, with more a more detailed version of the typical newsletter, but in print and delivered to your door for a small fee. Uh, we would like to know if you are interested, so let us know by contacting Dave or leaving a message on the comments on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I told you, there was a mouthful of information and news. So, as we said in the housekeeping I got to sit down with Dave, and we have been talking for so many hours. Literally so many hours. And at first, it was just going to be uh, a very small, short, you know, very typical kind of interview. But that is not how Dave or I work or operate, if you could not tell. So... Uh, this is the first. Today's episode is the first of several episodes where we really get to dive deep into uh, Mr. Montoya as well as the long history of the world of myth and all that came before it and all that is coming in time. So it is... The the fur it's a long it's a long ride, guys. It is a long one, okay? Uh so I'm not going to bore you with my uh yammering. So I really hope you guys enjoy uh part one because I had so much fun getting to talk to Dave uh at length and really kind of hit him with some questions that I genuinely really wanted answers to. So without further ado, I present to you part one of uh, my gigantic, uh, huge interview with David K. Montoya. And on that note, I would also like to wish him a very happy, now belated, but, you know, still cel worth celebrating uh, birthday. And uh, yeah, enjoy. I was recently gifted exclusive access to a project by David K. Montoya that allowed me insight into the greater and grander picture of the entirety of Dark Myth Publications and the magazine. So with regard to this important piece of literature Dave shared with me, it comes in synchronization with the uh, 30th anniversary of the company, as well as Dave's 45th birthday. So today we have the opportunity to take a deep dive into the history of the world of myth and David K. Montoya himself in celebration of both. Uh, and I am super excited to be presenting and speaking with him for this very special episode. So Dave is no stranger to the world of myth bits <laughs> and his own podcasts in the Jayzo Modcast Network, but I feel like it is only right for this one time, even though he's 
technically a guest, uh, but I'd really like to do it this way. So without further ado, welcome to the world of Mythbits. We are your hosts, Jenna Sparks and and this is episode 177 <laughs> and then insert music <laughs> so i appreciate you humoring me with that no problem so before we jump into a bunch of various questions one thing um i always find both interesting and kind of funny is that you once told me that there was a point at the magazine that you helm uh, where people didn't actually know you were a writer. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. Let's see. It was back in 2012. We were, yeah, it was 2011, 2012, somewhere in that area. Um, I was more involved in behind the scenes, trying to keep the magazine afloat. Um, Sarah St. John was the managing editor at the time. I wasn't writing anything. And the guy that was doing the interviews, uh, the professor, he reached out to me and he's like, you own it, right? And I'm like, yeah, I, I own the magazine. And he's like, well, why don't we do an interview? And I'm like, okay, I, I'm down with that. You know, I, I typically don't do interviews unless I have something to say. And um, because that way it keeps me from being redundant, telling the same story over and over and over again. And we were talking and he messaged me and he's like, eh, you're a writer? And <laughs> I won't lie. That was, was like the biggest slap in my face because a little insult above anything, above being the chairman, the CEO, the publisher, I am a writer. That's mm -hmm. who I am as a person. And that was a big step back and had to make me re-examine who I am if people don't even realize I'm a writer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that to me, I feel would be a really hard reckoning <laughs> to hear that, you know, because I, I know jumping into any kind of creative venture it's to put your creativity at the forefront. And yes. when obviously that's not kind of what was apparently being registered by peers and audiences, it's like, wait, what? Okay. We need to take a step back. <laughs> so from that little thing was actually the idea that sparked jism. Really? So I have, I trust me, we are going to get into all of that. I have, so many questions lined up. It is a little alarming how many questions I have. I'm ready. I'm excited. So, okay. So let's jump into it because like I said, there's a lot and I really, really want thorough answers. Okay. I don't want yes. And then silence. I oh, no, want doctor. you to get it all out. Okay. So cheers and all everything. So you you gave me a really, really thorough timeline uh, of the inception and groundwork for where we are today, essentially, within the company, within Dark Myth, uh, Jay's and Modcast, PCE, everything. Uh, but I think it's only fair for you to give us a starting point. What was it exactly that inspired you to jump into this journey in 1990? the 
beginning starts with me not believing in myself. Um, being raised in a very low middle class family, it's it was just kind of a given that you know I was going to grow up on welfare and I was going to be ignorant and. Unfortunately, there was family, God rest her soul, because they're gone now, but um, they were they were prejudiced for the simple fact that I am Hispanic. I mean, most people look at me and wouldn't realize I'm Hispanic, but I'm, I'm very much Hispanic. And um, with the prejudice of that, I was looked down upon as being not wide enough mm. legitimately and growing up through my life i thought i was stupid and insert sandy morton into the story sm morton as she would become known she got me into comic books and it sat on my desk i remember we lived in this little trailer and she gave me these these comics for my birthday and it was uh just sat there and i've always loved pictures i've always loved art i mean i i've i was an artist before i was a writer and one day i just i had nothing to do so i sat down at my desk and it was a little it was a little desk built into the wall with a mirror i, I remember the whole setup and i started looking at um it was an x-men and it was just this dynamic scene of Magneto and Magneto was just floating in space. And he had this menacing look and he had his hand reached out and the power of the magnetism was coming. And something in my head, I was like, hmm, I wonder what's going on. <laughs> so I read a little narration book and it intrigued me. So I flipped it to page one and I started reading and admitted there was words that I didn't understand. So I asked my mom, you know, what does this word mean? And she'd go, go look it up. Well, we didn't have a <laughs> dictionary. So Sandy gave me a dictionary, which I have to find it. I have that dictionary to this very day. Um, and I would look it up and I'd have like the word. Mm-hmm. Well, in that time, I consumed so much of the new material and what little back material that I could afford. You've got to remember, I was in a lower middle class family. Or if you really want to be honest with, you know, if this is a very honest thing, we were in a higher, lower class middle or lower class. I think we were more higher, lower than we were lower middle. Yeah. Um, and I consumed everything that I could consume. So I just started writing. I was like, I'm going to tell my own X-Men stories. Mm-hmm. And I started writing the X-Men stories. And then I just realized that my whole world, in that very singular moment, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> I realized at a young age 
who I am. I mean, there's some people my age now at 45 that have no clue who they are. Mm-hmm. But in my teens, after I finished that first story, I knew who I was. I knew what my life was meant to be as a storyteller. Yeah. And I wanted more. Because, of course, you know, in the the process of writing, when you're a baby in writing, you may not realize this, but rule number one is write what you know. Mm-hmm. So I wrote these characters in family context using the family's personalities because I didn't know how to create. And then I went to back to Sandy and uh, I said, I think I'm going to try to get hired to write. Okay. So I wrote up these different scripts, send them off. A couple of them actually came back. And then when they found out how young I was, they're like, come back when we're 18 kids. <laughs> Unfortunately, by the time I came back when I was 18, they were all out of business. So yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks guys for holding on, I guess. Yes. So then I went to Sandy and I asked her the most important question I've ever asked in my life. Sandy, what do you think about me making my own comic books? And she looked at me in my eyes and she simply said, why not? Yeah. <laughs> why not? And that's where it started. <laughs> See, that's funny because, you know, I think a lot of people really take it for granted when you, you know, when, when people and kids in particular grow up um, essentially othered from their peers, from other kids, even from their families, like you said, um, the the power of the escapism and that mutual relatability with fiction and content like that is so defining to, I think, who so many of us are and it helps set the stage it helps kind of knit together the pieces of who we are and who we're going to grow to be and I think that's a very interesting correlation that it was X-Men because X-Men has kind of been notorious for the inclusivity the you know representing of the others yes I mean that could be said for most heroes for most comic series for most you know interpretations but I just think that's kind of funny and it it makes sense it it makes a lot of sense (laughs) so okay um at one point though you were writing very dark material and I imagine at this point you were in your early teens Uh, (laughs) uh based on the trajectory of what you were seeing in comics at the time that you were consuming and tackling subjects that were still regarded as taboo or not really widely discussed. And I think that's an interesting parallel that people also, they often forget when it comes to art and how it expands our minds and kind of allows us to express things that 
traditionally were difficult to get in front of viewers and readers alike. You know, so how do you think that kind of earnestness and intrigue helped you in not just your writing and growing as an artist, but as a person at such a young age engaging in those topics? I was actually in the 11th grade and I had to opt in because I wanted to do psychology class, but psychology class was only for seniors. And I went to the art or the psychology teacher and I said, this is who I am. This is what I do. And this is why I want to take for class. And she's like, let me read one of your stories. I hand her a story. It was a comic book script, you know, because that's all I did was comic book script. And she stood there, like legitimately stood there. And she took my ad card and she signed her name. She goes, okay, come on inside. And I took notes, detailed notes, especially when you go deeper into the psychology. Because by this point, I understood about writing what you know. And I wanted to veer past what the family personalities that I incorporated in the stories, I wanted to be able to develop. But I want them to be real. I want them to be lifelike. And as I dove deeper into the psychology of it, I realized the dark human nature Mm -hmm. that we all have. And these are the things that I tackle in the story. Um, just on a, a, a psychological end. I wasn't trying to be cutting edge or controversial. No. It was I just explore. stuff that I was learning yeah. that I incorporated. And I remember there was, a, there was an issue because they're like, man, you're getting really dark. Um, I made one of the characters um, gay. And that was just so like, dark. So dark. <laughs> well, but you can think of At the time, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't like very, it wasn't even accepted back then. Yeah. But it's human nature. Mm-hmm. This is part of humanity as a whole. And you can't exclude if you're going to be real. Yeah. Even if you don't understand it through your own eyes, you still have to incorporate it because it's humanity. It's reality. It's yeah. And that's what makes a good story. Um. One of the characters, he struggled with suicidal thoughts. And he was the leader. Mm-hmm. And that was another big blow. How could this hero have mental illness like that? How could he's a hero? It was, again, not trying to be cutting the edge. I was just telling these stories. And I guess in hindsight, I'm here now. In hindsight, to have a superhero, to have the leader go out there and lead his team to victory every single time, but when he sits alone in his dark room 
he wants to kill himself. Yeah. That's deep. That's, that's that, yeah, that's something worth exploring. And I think that's why it led me down the road to psychology. I've taken lots of psychology, sociology, these type of deep thought classes, not to make me more intellectual, you know, not to be, you know, the stereotypical thinker, you know, (laughs) but to develop more understandable characters, even if they're the antagonist, there's a, a bit of, of relatability to them, which and makes it more scary. It's funny you say that too, especially with the antagonists. You know, it's it's so common to see one note villains. You know, villains who, I mean, it, it's the reality. You know, there is truth to it that some people just don't have motive. Not everybody, you know, is their their lives are dictated based on their trauma as children you know there are plenty of serial killers who didn't have traumatic childhoods you know even Dahmer apparently had a very average childhood so you know it's kind of funny though it's it's there's I think there was such a um, it, it took a while it seemed for villains to actually kind of see this humanization this you know there it's more than just this one note personality trait they're just evil that's it they're just evil they well you're a villain in somebody's book exactly so and that's i those are my favorite stories when you flip the script you know and i always use the walking dead as the main example because i just think it's the, the easiest but it's like if we had started the story from say negan's perspective he would not have been the villain no. rick grimes would have been the villain you know, and I think that is how one of the smartest ways to approach, you know, writing protagonists and antagonists, because you can't just have a perfect character. You can't just have, you know, an evil doing villain. There is a rhyme and a reason to whatever capacity. And so I think you know, the idea of exploring psychology and furthering your education in that regard is so lucrative, you know, and I think too, on that note, there's so many writers who are very fortunate and get to live, you know, wonderful exploratory lives where they get to travel and meet and interview, you know, so many different types of people, you know, and that's really how writing was done many, many years ago. You know, today we, we, you and I both kind of grew up in the, you know, the the rise of the internet where we kind of had all of these things accessible to us. And, you know, again, like you said, with the psychology and getting that opportunity to explore in a totally different light, I think is so important to the accessibility of writing. So... That was my long-winded way of saying that. <laughs> so by uh, 1995, I believe it was, uh-huh. you started integrating a gradually larger and larger team into the company. Uh, do you remember like what that felt like, That that need to essentially be in the position to hire, you know, important people to continue producing 
material. <laughs> I, I laugh because I remember I brought in Kyle Dobbs and he was my artist in Inver. And again, and I mentioned this in the beginning, I was an artist before I became a writer and I can draw. I just, I, I don't get that pleasure out of drawing. I yeah. think it's because I drew all those issues of the, you know, the comic book. And then by the time I got that, I'm like, I hate drawing. I don't want yeah. to do this no more. This is work. <laughs> yes. Um, and when I, I first approached him, he's like, no, that seems like a lot of work. And uh, it was, it was a progress. It was a very, you know, Hey, and then <laughs> I was like, I'm working on this cover. How about you help me? You know, we're, we're at lunch. And mind you, a lot of people will forget I was still in high school. I was senior year in high school. And like, we're at lunch. Here, here's a pencil. Help me draw it. It's, it's a full page spread. It's going to be a cover. And he just started drawing. And he's like, what do you want me to draw? And it's like, whatever you want to draw. It's got to be alien though. Yeah? So we're drawing. And we just had a good time. And he's like, well, can I see the story of this? Gotcha. And I gave him the story and he, he dug the story and he started working. And um, I think a kind of tapping back to the psychological aspect of things. For me, I've always looked for a family. I've, I've always wanted that acceptance from a family because I never had that. Um, mm -hmm. It's just something that was never really there. So to start having, you know, the people come in, I had Pat doing the lettering. I had uh, Kyle doing the drawing and inking. I was doing the story. Sandy was doing the editing. It felt like a little family. And for the yeah. first time in my life, I felt like I had my own little family. And uh, it, it was an amazing feeling. And um, it, it was something that became addictive. And I think that might be one of the deep buried psychological driving factors is that I always build these, these groups and, and I talk, I call them my family, my family, you know, the world of myth family, the dark myth family, the Jason mom, dark myth family. <laughs> and it's not, just a, a selling pitch yeah it is legitimately my family yeah and i think you know that that says a lot to the creative mind and that need that need to be surrounded around by people who are like-minded in their goals and the ideas you know it's so hard I I hate talking to non-artists about art you know yes. it's so tricky because it's like sometimes I just want to complain <laughs> sometimes I just want to moan about you know oh this product it, it didn't work the way I, I wanted it to and there's only a select handful of people who are gonna be like well you know what you should try <laughs> yes so I mean, that's such a, a light note of what you were saying, but I think that is so, you know, integral to, the again, the creative mind, just finding those people who kind of share that, that comprehension vision. and vi yeah, vision. Exactly. 
because like when I was a kid and I started writing, it was never accepted. Yeah. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, jumping 30 years in, into the future and producing cons, you know, yeah. I don't really think it's still accepted. But when I was a kid, they used to call it Fantasy Island. Oh, he's in this Fantasy Island. Instead of, yeah. hey, he's got a talent. Why don't we help be a parent, develop that talent? So he could go move forward and use what he's good at, what he has that natural ability to, to make a living. Yep. But instead, they ridiculed me, called it my fantasy island. Yep. So yep. I, I yep. went and looked for people that understood and, and like I said, built my own family. family. Yeah. Yeah, I think, too, because um, we, we actually, we talked about that before. Um, and it's kind of funny because, um, you know, you and I are both huge fans of Kevin Smith, and I will get yes. into that later. And I really kind of live by his why not monologue, um, you know, where he proposes the idea of, of living a why not life. And uh, talking about the importance of surrounding yourself with the people who are going to say, why not? Yes. You know, and when you grow up, and people don't tell you that you can be an artist, you can be a writer, that they want you to look at, uh, you know, more traditional career paths, things like that, things that are going to earn you money, a living, a safety net, which are very important factors. I'm not going to disregard that. But nobody, nobody ever told me I could be an artist. Nobody ever told me I could write, you know, as a exactly. Living. And I know you, that's exactly what, you know, you heard it's, it's, you know, it's just a hobby. It's a phase, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to amount to anything. Um, and so, you know, I think that, that, you know, to, to connect the idea of, like I said, the Kevin Smith, why not surround yourself with the people who are going to ask you why not uh, comes in with that familial territory where when you're not getting that support, you know, um, you're going to find it somewhere else. And that is so important. And I think, you know, you having the opportunity that essentially luck, you know, unfortunately there were negative aspects to your childhood, but you got to find that kind of support system outside of, you know, uh, uh, genetics and (laughs) blood relationships and find it, with your found family and that's awesome you know i think a lot of people would be quite um envious of that especially people who have regrets for not entering the art world because they were told you can't do that (laughs) i i really have a deep deep dislike for that it it's like don't ever tell your kid or anybody that they can't do that. Yeah. Oh, that's not a feasible career path. No, it it is. If that's what they love, they'll find a way. Yes. Like my girls, you know, they're both artists. And if they want to be artists, then go be artists. Yeah. I support them for whatever they want to do. Yeah. As long as they're not hurting nobody. 
Exactly. Exactly. That's where we draw the line. <laughs> yeah. No, no chasing people down the street with chainsaw. Unless it's for art. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody who would say that. <laughs> but no, I think that's, you know, it's so important. And, and I think that, you know, you kind of, it's, it's a little bit of a, um, a blessing to be able to pass that on to your kids to future generations where it's like, no, you really can, if this is what you want to do, do it, you know, and they may stick with it. They may not, you know, but it's their freedom to explore. It's their freedom to um, have that support and see what they like, what they don't like. If they want to make something out of it, maybe it is just a hobby. Maybe it is just for fun. Or maybe it's going to bring them absolute unadulterated joy, yes. you know, that just is is the the point and purpose of their life. So I think um, you know, it's it's one of those crappy lessons, you know, that that you had to learn firsthand, but you know, your kids are not gonna deal with that. So there's no. that. So by 1997, like I said, we're going, we're, we're going in a timeline here. By 1997, it kind of seemed that all that once had glittered was no longer very golden. And the case for the company as well as the comics in production were in a bit of a dire situation. Uh, The comics weren't allowing the company to earn a profit and the health struggles of your lead artist were forcing you into circumstances you probably hadn't anticipated, Uh, not to hone in on the darker memories, but that's, I mean, that's got to have been a really, really tough moment for yourself and everyone involved. Um, But you did, you did find inspiration somewhere and decided to take on the job yourself. <laughs> and so you can con- concocted, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this word, Aotnam. Aotnam, uh, Aotnam <laughs> which was inspired by Japanese uh, comics and manga. Mm-hmm. From the outside in and knowing what I know, uh, I have to ask if that opportunity, even it being so bleak, you know, uh, to, were you like artistically fulfilled to to jump into that kind of subject matter and art style? Yeah, because like, okay, so let me back up real fast. I, I actually, I was 20, we were in Arkansas and my wife, I, I went to my wife and I, I told Lacey, I was like, I don't know what to do. Uh, I, I'm thinking about just walking away and, and doing something else. I don't know. And she just looked at me and she's like, you're going to walk away. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking about it. And um, we were just talking and she's like, well, you know, whatever you want to do. And I just kind of rolled it out. And this is where it starts. 
one day she came in the house. She goes, Dave, how do you say our name backwards? I'm like, what do you mean? Oh. I'm Montoya. How do you say Montoya? Oh my God, I'm backwards? so stupid. <laughs> and I go, a yotno. And she goes, a yotno. I go, yeah. <laughs> she goes, it sounds Japanese. And in that moment, <laughs> because I'm a 90s kid. So I grew up on Ninja Scroll, Bubblegum, Akira, you know, those old school manga anime. And it just flooded. I had this story. Yeah. And so I sat down and I wrote the story. And well, I, I plotted it. I actually drew it. And then I put dialogue back in. <laughs> it's the only time I ever did that. I always usually plot it, dialogue it, then draw it. It's always left up for, I mean, and I think that kind of comes in hand with the excitement of the endeavor where it's like, you know, like I said, everything was kind of a mess at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so and to kind of figure out a new route and technique well, that, that it was the first time I really had to kind of come up with a solution. Yeah. There was hands down no help unless I had to step up. And as far as a yoke mom, those are your yoke mom codes. Yeah. What people aren't seeing, because this is oh, on yeah. video, we're speaking <laughs> through video chat. And I actually got to see these in person. But yeah, there is actual commissioned art uh, that Dave has. And it is very cool to see, you know, especially after, uh, you know, that was what, 1997? Yeah. So quite, quite a long time <laughs> uh, in the making to see that that happen and see the physical iterations of it right there <laughs> so to make matters even worse <laughs> before we saw the new millennium it mm -hmm. seems that everything and pardon my french uh went to hell in a handcast <laughs> for the yeah, company yeah. <laughs> uh and again i don't want to dwell in the worst of times okay. uh, but there had been an arrangement with a nightclub for ad that, space that you went to that yeah uh wherein you would learn the unfortunate news that their fiscal agreement didn't quite pan out and you wound up unable to move forward with an exciting venture in your hydrus zytus comic series that already had seen success uh so if you could answer this from the point of business, Dave, and then yeah. writer, Dave, how do you think these very unfortunate circumstances shifted the way you would proceed to do business, uh, let alone stay with you to this day? Oh, that was a big, big learning moment for me. Yeah. Because back then, 1999, I was about 22. So I was still learning the business end of things. And, you know, a handshake was sufficient for me until that point. 
what do they call it? A gentleman's agreement? No, you can handshake my hand. You can shake my hand after you after you sign the contract. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that that really hurt me financially. That was one of the reasons why we ended up going to Arkansas is because I had to move. I lost yeah. the house. I lost wow. the car because I had to pay for that printing. Mm. And I was expecting it for the advertisement money. So, And then it didn't happen. <laughs> I've made so, a, a couple of errors previous to that. But that was the biggest one that hit me in the butt. I was going to say that that seemed to have been the most um, influential. <laughs> influential. So come Y2K then, um, you had been able to find a new home on the internet. Yes. Uh, what was that like moving from, you know, tangible physical paperback into this, you know, digital world that was almost hard to fathom? I'm trying to think of a way to say this without like patting myself on the back. Pat yourself on the back. Who cares? <laughs> I knew that digital comics was the way of the future. Yeah. When I saw it presented, I'm like, oh my god! You know, there's there's hardly any overhead. Just the creative. There's no printing cost. And I knew. I and I, I didn't have it the way we know digital comics now. No. It was very simple. Simplistic. Um, you just click on the page and it got bigger. You can read it. You take your cursor and move from panel to panel. Uh, that was outside. Yeah, Outsider. I, I did Outsider uh, Studios in 2000. And <laughs> do you remember GeoCities? Yes, I do. I that do. was the original. We, we did GeoCities because... I couldn't afford a dot com back then. No. Well, we had Angel Fire. And, <laughs> and people started coming in and reading. And I just watched. And then, you know, they, they, it was, what was it before PayPal? Oh, God. I don't even remember that. But you could go and ask for donation and that's how I was making money is people would send domain oh. <laughs> oh I had it on the tip of my tongue I know and you're going to remember at some point at 3am yeah it was this <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah no that I think is because I remember that you know I remember uh just growing up in the essentially the birth of you know the the public's relationship to the internet I should clarify that because the internet's existed for a long time but you know and I think the funniest part is too on a side note but just something that I find absolutely (laughs) hilarious uh is kids today um my 17 17 year old nephew as an example uh, 
the Gen Zers are actually have, for whatever reason, brought back the concepts of Angel Fire and GeoCities. Really? And I think it's called like NeoCities now or something like that. I can't remember. And it's strictly, they want it to look as bad as things looked in like 1999. You know, horrible, horrible graphics and like long wait times. And they're just creating their own like little, they're combining like this. Because you, you remember how like you could create like a, a GeoCities or an Angel Fire like profile page, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this is me, Angel Demon Lover XX 420 <laughs> Hearts. <laughs> and then it would have your favorite movies or whatever. They're doing that. And it's so freaking funny to me. Um, and it just kind of leaves me in awe because it's one of those. Why? This isn't nostalgia for you guys. <laughs> like We had to live through that. That's what so, we had. It is. And now I love what we have. And why can't the kids appreciate that? (laughs) All right. So in addition to launching on the web, that was the same year you had uh, coined a merger with L. Allen Russo Jr. of New Blood Films and MEI 2000's Dark Myth Productions becoming... New Myth Entertainment. So, first and foremost, how how did you and Alan Russo come into contact with this concept? Russo and I actually met. We we worked as um, CNAs, believe it or not, in Arkansas, <laughs> and it was funny because he he's from Florida. I'm from California, and we met in Arkansas. And 22 years later, he's still my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was telling me about the movies he made. And, and to be honest with you, I was I, I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> right, right. You really, you know. And then I was telling him about the, the books and comic books that I, you know, I did. And he, he doing the same thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So cool. He kind of realized that we were both telling the truth. <laughs> so we were sitting down and we were writing this script it's called body bag and then we created what would become american smash we created it that and i was like i know the comic in you know the movie in how about we merge companies and we'll see what we can do just for like two years there's a two-year agreement i actually still have it that agreement. <laughs> we're gonna have to do a bunch of scanning um so we can do like a, a walk-along video with this uh episode <laughs> well i'm hoping that by november december the rise fall and redemption will be but I don't know how to go about it because it's going to be quite a big book because I want pictures and old documents like you were talking about being scanned, but I also want a hardback. Yeah. So maybe um, for next year. Yeah. <laughs> the middle of next year. But um, so 
it was like he wanted new blood myth. I'm like, that's stupid. So. <laughs> and then he's like, blood myth, myth blood. I'm like, why don't we just call it new myth and, and just call it scissors? <laughs> and he knew that he wasn't going to win with, you know, with any of his titles. He was like, fine. <laughs> so in 2000, we merged and created New Myth. Which makes a lot more sense. New Myth. Uh, <laughs> so sort of to follow up that, uh, I want to jump back to the very beginning. Uh can you tell us a bit about New Wave Comics, N-E-W-W-A-V-E, not to be confused with New Wave Comics, N-U-W-A-V-E uh, Comics, C-O-M-I-X, you know, we know today. My brother, Randy. He's, well, technically, he's my step my stepbrother, but he's been my brother since I was four, you know, and I'm 45. So I think 41 years, even though brother. we're not see eye to eye recently, you know, 41 years, he's my brother. And um, I created Live Signs. And when he created Live Signs, well, no, I created Live Signs Studios. Because originally it was Montoya Comics, and then I felt like that was just a dumb name. <laughs> so I, I made Life Science Studios. And when I made Life Science Studios, he came up with New Wave Comics. And New Wave Comics was his writing and his drawing, or his attempt to draw, I guess. Um, <laughs> Imagine Picasso drawing comic books. That, that's uh, okay. kind of his art style, I guess. It worked. Not something. Um, but it was, I guess, the only word I can think of was pornographic. Ah, okay. It was. Yeah. It was of the time I imagine of Skinamax and whatnot. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, or heavy metal. <laughs> He created Dreamcatchers. That was the first one. I still don't understand the plot behind that. <laughs> All I know is there was a lot of sex. <laughs> and then he came up with another one, but I can't say the title. Dang it. Not on this show. I can't say it. Ah! Can you spell it out or can you rhyme it? Uh, sorority that rhymes with putts. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. I think. <laughs> <laughs> then he came up with, this one was one of my favorite. Um, it was called Bitches Eat. <laughs> and basically, it was it was like Scooby-Doo but with all with women and they would go you know find the ghosts and goblins 
if there were are, a lot of opportunities for them to be naked and doing it, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And then the last one he created, which was one of the ones that he created before he sold it, was called Hard Hardcore Harry. And that was very Fritz the the Fritz the Cat. It was just there was really no real story. Um, he had his brother Killer Karen. I'm trying to remember. There was this one guy. I can't remember his name, but he, he wanted his whole thing was that he wanted to win the lottery so he could get out of the city. And then the love interest. Oh, okay. And Harry could sleep with any other women in, in the city except his love interest. I can't remember her name. I think in the, 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 the material I gave you, her name's actually in there. But I don't remember what it is. Ah. So the reason I ask about New Wave Comics is because in 2001... You found yourself in a position to approach and purchase the company and the nosy brat in me is very curious as to why it was considered a rival company. For that very reason. Um, (laughs) There's a piece in the story that I didn't put in. Okay, so Randy sold to this one kid. I don't remember his name. Kid and X. I stumbled across it. I was still in Arkansas when I first found it. And the kid had passed away. And the brother had inherited it. So I contacted the brother. I'm like, hey, what's going on with this? And he's like, nothing. <laughs> and I was like, well, you want to sell it? He's like, yeah. And then it gave me some stupid number. And we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then we went into like 2001. I think it was 2001. And he finally gave me a number that I had. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. So I called my stepdad. And I was like, I need Randy's number. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, oh, I just need to tell him something. It's important. He's like, okay. So I called him Randy. I was like, Randy, it's your brother. He's like, hey, bro. <laughs> I'm like, just want to let you know I'm about to buy your company. <laughs> He's like, what company? I was like, New Wave. Remember New Wave? He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I'm like, yeah, I'm about to buy it. <laughs> Have a good day. Bye bye. <laughs> and then I went and bought it. <laughs> and that's why, because it's it's a sibling rivalry. Yeah. It never was really a head-to-head rival. It was just for the fact that... It was a Cold War, if you will. Created, yes. <laughs> and the purchase of New Wave made, of it, made it into a warm war. <laughs> and it was the first time we ever purchased a company. We've purchased quite a few in the 30 years, but that was the first one. So there was a lot that transpired when you did buy out New Wave. Uh, the meltdown. In, yes. Yeah. 
in regard to the purchase, you were able to tie up some loose ends and give completion to the titles already in existence uh, at New Wave. Uh, and they apparently weren't received very well <laughs> by fans of the series. How do you think the responsibility of handling that series lent to the writing decisions you made at the time? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it. I I never had no plan to keep New Wave going. I felt... I'm just going to say it. I felt that New Wave was a copy because I'm the big brother, you know, and, and mm-hmm. we, again, we've always had this rivalry and because I created a comic book brand, he created a comic book brand. And I, I felt like it was a generic ripoff of what would become darkness. I gotcha. And it just, it was that little thorn, you know, because I was like, you know, oh, I created dark myth. And then he comes, well, I created new myths, you know. <laughs> well, now I have both. And I'm going to get rid of that thorn in my side. And mind you, I was 24 at the time. You know, so it wasn't really the smartest business plan, but God, it was fun. It was so fun because I sat down and I caught up on what was doing. Now, mind you, I never purchased the rights to the backstories because that's where he wanted all that money. So I never bought the back back library, mm-hmm. but he let me read some. And I got enough understanding of the story where I could put together an end to each one. And it was just like finally getting rid of that little nuisance, you know? Yeah. And that's the way I felt. And I sat down and I remember, again, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> um, I came to the Hardcore Harry because believe it or not, Hardcore Harry, it just really boomed. And I don't yeah. understand why it boomed. But it boomed. It was his best product. And he was finally going to seal the deal with (laughs) the the girl that he's been chasing this whole entire time. And just as they're getting ready to have their moment, the roof caves in and it's hero and sidekick. Oh. (laughs) So, yeah, I can understand why people are upset. But see, it's, you know, and I I talk about it so often on this podcast about how I hate when people get so upset over endings, you know, because there comes a point in fandoms where it's like we almost feel like we have this ownership of characters and whatnot that aren't ours, you know, and and, uh, the one I did. Uh, before the review episode where I talk about like Killing Eve. I think Killing Eve is the worst ending that for me, I will never be not sour about, but it just kind of cracks me up where it's just kind of like, I think that's an excellent ending, you know, where it's like this, this, this man, he's finally, you know, this entire series has been about him, you know, lusting and desiring this one woman who he cannot have. And then finally, finally it happens. I personally think that's hilarious. 
I love that kind of ending. So you know what? I am 100% on your side of that argument. And I think the people who are bothered over it can just go write fanfic over it and move on. Well. Almost 30 years later. Yeah. No, 20 years later. So Randy came back in in 2017 and I made him the general manager of New Wave. And the reason why it's NU instead of NEW is he came up with a very smart thing. He changed the NEW to U because he wanted to relaunch New Wave for you, the readers. Oh, okay. And I will That's go ahead and drop a little surprise. Drop it. They are being remade. They're being reprinted? They're being recreated. Recreated? Oh, heck yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. So now... There's... Yeah, it's enough for now. <laughs> All right. So let's jump before you get yourself into trouble. Let's <laughs> jump into 2002. Uh, it seemed like you had decided to put so many eggs in so many different baskets <laughs> and expand even larger and try to pick up a few uh, pieces, if you will. This included the launch of Extreme Myth Studios, mm -hmm. which I love that, Extreme, and linking up with... time. It was the time of Extreme. It, it really was. <laughs> and linking up with Divine Entertainment, a uh, music production and distribution company, uh, an AD, APDP recording... Uh, <laughs> which was an indie record label and New Blood Films. Yep, they popped uh, back in. So that was a whole thing. That's why I was getting so tongue twisted because there are so many little avenues, not little, but big avenues. So when all was said and done, um, there was a formation that was ultimately known as Danex Entertainment. Yes. Uh, so what happened with that music sector? I have to ask. It was at a party. <laughs> <laughs> I actually was talking to your brother about it. <laughs> For Which those of you I who think, don't know. I think we should put that into. Yeah. I think we need to explain. Dave and my brother Aaron have known each other for what did we estimate? About almost 30 years. Something like that. 25 to 30 years. And uh, I have... Dave and I have only known each other for a couple years. Yeah. But I have known Dave's family um, pretty much my whole life. In fact, Sandy got me my first job when the I was the same uh, Sandy that started me. Yep. Exactly. And so it's just kind of funny how like low key intertwined. So this is actually where this is right around the time where I think our families kind of merged a little because yes. Aaron was, and I, this is, yeah, go on, go on. We put okay. it out there. <laughs> so we were at a party. I was, I don't know if I was inebriated or not, to be honest. <laughs> I may have. 
you know, I was in my younger 20s, so it's very possible. And we just started talking. And I have this ability to just, when I start in on something that I'm very passionate about, that passion, I can convey that passion. I can make a person feel the same passion. And that was the time I started believing in why not. And I was telling Aaron and Justin, Darren? Darren? Darren I had to ask APDP, what did that stand for? Aaron, what was his last name? Parker? Parker. Darren Parker. Darren Peters. Peters. What's his last name? Peters. Peters. There you go. APDP. And it was during the time of betrayal, too. They were still. (laughs) So we were there at a party and we're talking. And, you know, when you have a bunch of, uh, a group of creatives and you're like, we need to collaborate. We need to make something happen. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) they they went off and did their own thing. I didn't forget about that conversation. So (laughs) I, I reached out to Derek who is DJ DeMond and he had his recording label uh, Divine that's another story that's a whole other story because you know who else has Divine Records? Who? Ozzy Osbourne Oh no! Um, and then, of course, I, I reached out to Russo because we had just come to that two-year separation of the, the contract. And I'm like, hey, Al, I got another <laughs> burger for you. And this one's a lot bigger. And they're like, sure, let's do it. And it, it, it was supposed to be the plan when we we're going to put out American Smash. American Smash has been around for a while. There's actually a previous version of it that was printed. I'll have to find it. I'll show it to you one of these days. <laughs> um, so we were going to put out American Smash the comic book, and then we were going to do an animated cartoon. Oh, wow. With the animated cartoon, Betrayal and <laughs> DJ Divine were going to do the soundtrack, plus we were going to record the voices because... Darren had all the recording material and we were going to market it that way. So I sat down, I wrote the script for it and uh, we put, started putting things in, into the process. And I, I kind of got pulled into the business side because also at that time, DJ Divine was starting his I-15 club. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you remember that or no? I don't remember that. I I read about it, but I don't Club I don't 15. remember that. It was I want to say around where the Kaiser Building is in Victorville. Hmm. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about, but yeah, I can't. And so I was helping him make business degrees uh, decisions. So I really wasn't paying much attention to APDP. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> And I think what it come down to was them practicing, you know, as a group and then trying to do business as APDP, 
there was too much in your face time. There was yeah. no time to step back and be your own person. And I think that's what caused the meltdown because I went on vacation. I think I went to Nevada. I think that's 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and that's when somewhere. I that. Justin had told me that, yeah, they split up. <laughs> One of the things also that kind of collapsed Denix was DJ, DJ Devine's cousin didn't like me. Mm. And he didn't like the idea of a bunch of white people being in this merger and, and DJ being the only African American. And that really bothered me, to be honest with you. I take pride in saying I'm probably the least prejudiced person you will ever meet. You know, I, I base a person off of their, their behavior. You know, are they a good person or are they a good person? This is that simple. And when he convinced their DJ Devon to sell I-15 and sell his half of the company, that I, I'm trying to think of to say it properly. I feel like because I've actually never sat down and talked about it. <laughs> uh, I think that was more personal than it was professional. Because once APDP fell apart, then Divine ended up splitting. Uh, it went from Divine to Divine Styles, if I remember right. Because they got a cease and desist for using Divine Entertainment. And then that Nate or Nathan, uh, he had the money. He sold his share of the company, plus they sold I-15 together. And it left him with Divine Styles, and there really wasn't nothing left. And I think all of that was kind of like the downfall of Danix. I don't remember why Russo left. I'm trying to think because I would have been about thir- no, 15. And I want to say that was around the time me and Aaron's stepdad died. So I wonder if that had... I don't know. We need to get Aaron <laughs> in on this. Get Justin. <laughs> See about getting all everybody together. That's <laughs> But that would be funny just to get get everybody that we could find back together. <laughs> just do a a recap over the past twenty years. Would be blast. And that is where we are going to hang it up for today. I told you guys it was a long one, and there are still many, many more hours to come. So 
Uh, we will be back next week with even more good stuff. And until then, you can find us at www.theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine and on Instagram at the World of Myth Bits. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time. Thank you.